Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from uh, Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest. Today is the 18th of December on the year 2019. I've been talking about T lymphocytes both in the uh, Authentic Biochemistry podcast audio as well as in the Authentic Biochemistry Verev Med Studios combined video lectures, which have been posted on my YouTube channel. I'm going to continue with T lymphocyte production, T lymphocyte mediated responses in human disease and pathophysiology with a prime interest in now autoimmune responses. So picking up where we were last time, I mentioned to you that a paper published in the American Journal of Gastroenterology in 2004, um, volume 99, talked about a bacterium called Novosphingobium aromativorans. And they say, they say that it is a potential initiator of primary biliary cirrhosis. Let's look at this. Primary biliary cirrhosis, or PBC, is characterized by a T-cell mediated destruction of bile duct epithelial cells that, of course, lie in the small intrahepatic bile duct. The host targets of activated T lymphocytes actually <clears throat> what causes this is the dihydrolipoamide acetyltransferase component of the two oxoacid dehydrogenases, particularly the enzyme that we find in the enzyme complex, PDH, or pyruvate dehydrogenase, which is the gateway to the tricarboxylic acid cycle, of course, generating acetyl-CoA from pyruvate. Emerging data does suggest that there is a microorganism that can initiate the onset of PBC, and that is this bacterium known as Novosphingobium. Novosphingobium, then, is a gram-negative, strictly aerobic bacteria found worldwide in soil and in water and basically on any surfaces you might be looking for bacteria. Very common. (laughs) It's PDCE2-like protein. That is exactly the protein we just mentioned, the dihydrolipoamide acetyltransferase component of PDH. It has one that looks just like, in terms of sequence homology, very high uh, in terms of its epitope immunodominant region similarity to the human PDCE2 than any other microorganism that's studied so far. So it's interesting then that if we get this bacterial infection, then the bacterial the bacteria may um, be removed, the immune system may remove it, get, getting rid of all of the replicating bacteria. But because you've raised the antibody, to that PDCE2 protein in the bacterium, which again is the pyruvate dehydrogenase uh, enzyme 2 complex, because a sequence homology with our protein, host protein, human protein, is very, very high in homology, um, we, those same antibodies can attack us, and that's how you get an autoimmune response. So this bacterium, which can be called a uh, uh, basically, it is a, a sphingos—it's a sphingosine-producing bacterium. Now that's interesting because sphingosine and sphingolipids are not common in bacteria. This bacteria tends to make one, so we say that because this uh, Novosphingobium makes sphingolipids, it can help subvert self-tolerance in humans in two ways. One is a molecular mimicry due to that uh, subclinical infection that you can get from having the bacteria and that E2 protein. And another reason is because of the metabolism of xenobiotics that are also 
occurring because of this bacterium. But I would argue that a third major biological determinant is the well-known established fact that ceramide, which can be generated from sphingomyelin, um, is linked to inflammation and subsequent tissue degeneration. And that could be yet another mechanism for how the sphingomonas bacterium uh, in the PVC, as described in primary biliary, both uh, uh, in, in the description we're having here, cirrhosis, but also in cholangitis, could be signaling with lipids, okay, and then therefore generating this immune response. So again, Novosphingobium, which is a sphingomonas, the strain is DSM-12444, and it's an alpha proteobacteria, gram-negative, non-spore-forming, rod-displaying, single-polar flagella, very common stuff, and it is obligate aerobe, so it's going to do quite well in the small intestine. But unlike Typical gram-negative bacteria does not have an LPS of a polysaccharide, which is an antidepressant for those bacteria, but rather it has this glycosphingolipid. And again, that's a very common membrane component. Eukaryotic cells particularly read human. So the role of these sphingolipids uh, is proposed to be important in the colonization of this bacterium uh, in humans, but also it will colonize uh, higher plants, marine organisms, invertebrates, that is, and of course the human host. So it's a very interesting phenomenon, and it's probably a determinant for disease. Now, <laughs> jumping ahead to the paper, Infectious Immunity 2013, we talked about another bacterium which causes problems in humans called Staph aureus. Staph aureus is associated with skin and soft tissue infections, the severity of which can range from minor conditions uh, like folliculitis all the way to severe surgical site infections, or SSIs, Right. And this paper from Infection and Immunity in 2013, December, uh, volume 81, talks about this staph aureus and how it can cause autoimmune disease. So S. aureus is linked to many hospitals, that is Noshikomo, hospital-associated SSI, sometimes leading to bacteremia, endocarditis, and even after epigenetic reprogramming can then induce this autoimmune inflammatory disease. And the treatment of the SSIs has then further led to antibiotic resistance among hospital strains of S. aureus, and that can yield even higher prevalence of infections, particularly in surgical agents, thus generating those SSIs, with a concomitant reduced efficacy of all the antibiotics we want to throw at it, of course. So I want you to keep all that in mind when I mention this. Going back to our discussion of the T lymphocytes. Interleukin-17A is a prototype of the family of cytokines produced by Th17 cells, which we've been talking about at great length. Of course, those were important, the Th17 cells, for antimicrobial immunity, particularly fungal, and of course, extracellular bacterial. And that's because of the cytokine's ability there, that cytokine, uh, which one, IL-17A, to activate a chemokine receptor called CXC, and that chemokine receptor and the chemokine production generated as the ligand to the receptor will then direct recruitment of neutrophils to the site of infection. So that's all in normal control over the pathological induction caused by fungi and bacteria. Now, mice deficient in IL-17 are, of course, highly susceptible bacterial and fungal infections, including things like Klebsiella, pneumoniae, E. coli, and the fungus Candida. So <clears throat> in the context of SRS infections, IL-17 is believed to play a significant role 
supported by the clinical findings that a hyper IgE syndrome patient who have impaired TH17 cell responses suffer from recurrent SRS infections. So that's interesting, right? Patients with atopic dermatitis, on the other hand, have an increased susceptibility to colonization by SRS, and that in part may be ascribed to a decreased IL-17 production. Therefore, it looks like IL-17 works directly against SRS. Now, the importance of innate sources of IL-17, which as we found out previously from, for example, T uh, cells of the gamma delta T variety and invariant natural killer T cells like INKTs, plus lymphoid tissue inducer cells, all of those also make IL-17, and they do tend to predominate in the skin and mucosa where you can get staph infection. Now, jumping now further ahead to the, produ- to the paper Frontiers in Immunology 2019, volume 10, page 1309 start, we were starting to talk about the fact that a pharmacological inhibition of GAL-3 <clears throat> that's the glycoprotein that is secreted that seems to be involved in a great number of autoimmune disease. So if you inhibit GAL3 with a compound that's out there, a pharmaceutical called Devanant, it will attenuate autoimmune cholangitis, okay? And will do so by suppressed serum levels of an anti-PDC-E2 IgA. We just talked about that could be a biological determinant, Right. Uh, of what? Of that uh, Novosphingobium, right? AST and ALT, release of that from the liver, expression of NLRP3 inflammasome, interleukin-1 beta production, and the influx of all three of the major pro-inflammatory T lymphocytes, 1, 2, and 17, all those cells being uh, introduced into the liver. And of course, that also helps reduce liver fibrosis. All that happens if you reduce this GAL3 protein by using this inhibitor. The same thing was observed when you do a knockout of it in mice, the GAL3 gene, okay? So cholangitis, remember, is an inflammatory disease of the bile duct system, where, of course, the bile duct carries bile from your liver to the gallbladder and into the first part of your small intestine, which is duodenum. In most cases, cholangitis is caused by bacterial infection, for example, like the Novosphingobium, and often it happens suddenly, a sudden onset. It can be very uh, debilitating. Significantly reduced influx of T1, T2, and T17 cells are noticed in livers of GAL3 inhibitor, the one I just said, when you, when you treat mice with the GAL3 inhibitor and in the recombinant knockout of GAL3. So that means that GAL3 seems to be what? It seems to be an indicator, maybe even a promoter associated with getting cholangitis, right? primary biliary cholangitis. So a decrease in GAL3 would be a good thing to save that. And it seems to be working through the T lymphocytes, right? Now, GAL3 plays an important pro-inflammatory role, actually, in this Novosphingobium bacterium-induced autoimmune cholangitis, which you can do in, bac- in uh, mice. And it's probably due to a <coughs> dominant role of inflammasome in the Novosphingobium induced activation of dendritic cells and macrophages. And that results, of course, in activation of all kinds of other players in PVC pathogenesis. In particular, what we just talked about, interleukin-17 as generated by natural killer cells, natural killer T lymphocytes, and other T cell populations, for example, like T17. An inhibition of GAL3 signaling 
will be a potential therapeutic strategy for primary biliary cholangitis, which is one step below, of course, the actual cirrhosis. <clears throat> that leads us to this clinical experimental rheumatology paper of 2019, which is how we started this series way back when we were doing the videos. It's a one-year review of systemic lupus erythematosus, which, of course, is, uh, is a major autoimmune disease in humans, uh, otherwise just known as lupus. This paper then published by Azuchi et al. Now, in that particular disease, lupus, the production of antibodies to SL3 patients, <coughs> excuse me, SLE patients, is interrelated to dysregulated T follicular H, that is, helper differentiation. Stem cell-like memory cells may be the source of these differentiated TFH cells in SLE lupus patients. Not clear which factors trigger those follicular helper T lymphocytes, although a role for cytokine IL-27, since the murine atherogenic environment induced the release of IL-27 from dendritic cells in a toll-like receptor mediated as a TLR4, of course, dependent manner, and the blockade of that pathway shut down, turning, uh, for example, CD4 naive cells into T follicular helper cells. In a bioenergetics description of this whole process, lupus-prone inhibition of glycolysis reduced the expansion, this is in T cells now, metabolism within the T cells, reduced the expansion of autoreactive T follicular helper cells, and based on crosstalk between B and T cell populations, the absence of galactin-3, again, in mice, caused an excess of interferon gamma, which then raised aberrant germinal center formation, and indeed an auto autoantibody production. So when you have a less amount of galactin-3, you can induce excessive interferon gamma, which is a pro-inflammatory cytokine, which will then increase germinal center, or GC, T follicular cell production, ultimately activating B cells and doing an autoantibody, uh, autoimmune disease. A subset of B cells is co-expressed in two different chains, both the heavy and light Ig dual antibody autoreactive cells, known as BCRs or B2R cells, are also implicated in uh, SLE, in, in lupus. Now, there's a T-cell-dependent signal and innate stimuli, such as IL-21, type 1 and type 2 interferon, and the TOLEC receptors 7 through 9 agonists all play a key role in the activation, expansion, and effector function of these specific BT, B2R uh, lymphocytes in the murine model of lupus. In addition to secreting antibodies, of course, these lupus-specific B2R cells express much higher levels of major histocompatibility cell uh, type 2, and additional surface receptors important for cognitive engagement with T cells. So you know that MHC2 is going to express and promote peptide fragments that are going to turn on T cells. And when those T cells are turned on, then they're going to be able to activate B cells and then activate them in such a way because of the homologous recombination methods uh, and mechanisms to turn them to against the bacterium that had the peptide fragment on that MAC class II receptor on the surface of these cells. Right? Now, that can be caused by, directly on B cells by the IgM moiety, uh, and also, of course, on uh, dendritic cells and macrophages and, cell, and cells like this, any antigen-presenting cell. So among the co-receptors deficiency in interleukin-21 are stimulated by interleukin-21, of course, which is a T-cell-derived soluble factor, implicating the generation of these germinal center B cells 
and this I, Ig class switched plasma cell ultimately. The re, it re, has going to reduce the frequency of B2R. If you have a deficiency in interleukin 21 receptor, you're going to reduce the frequency of the B2R B cell lineages. And that indicates, of course, enhanced dependency on what? On that interleukin 21 cytokine. And that's what that will influence then these uh, germinal center B cells. Another SLE lipids associated B cell expressing surface CD11C called TBET plus. The TBET is a transcription factor we talked about before, and we'll get back to it in a moment here. TBET plus B cells are antigen experience cells that were expanded in a cohort of over 200 back to now clinical studies, lupus patients, humans, and the degree of expansion correlated with disease severity. Now, that's interesting. Moreover, in interleukin 21, back to interleukin 21 now in the human population, potently induces TBET B cells and it promotes a differentiation into immunoglobulin secreting autoreactive plasma cells or autoimmune cells. Those are all derived from a specific germinal center B cell lineage. Now, the growing importance of interleukin 21 as a pathogenic factor is now implicated in lupus, and it's provided, it's proved by its role, I would say it's argued for by its role in the blockade of Treg cell autophagy differentiation of function through the activation of the mTOR complexes both one and two. So in that same study, a four-week um, regimen of rapamycin reverted those effects, induced autophagy, and guess what it did? It restored Treg cell function and therefore decreased the amount of T helper cell activation and therefore decreased the amount of uh, inflammation and in this particular system, autoimmunity, because lupus is an autoimmune disease. So here's a paper from Autoimmunity published in 2012. Now, we've talked about this before because we talked about B cell follicles and lymphoid organs, right? This is where we're back to again. So within the B cell follicle of secondary lymphoid organs, like tonsils, for example, there's a germinal center, and the germinal center reactions produce high affinity antibody secreting plasma cells, of course, and memory B cells necessary for the host defense against all these invading pathogens, particularly bacteria and fungi. The process of germinal center formation is reliant on the activation of what? Of antigen-specific B cells as activated by the T cells <coughs> capable of recognizing epitopes <coughs> Excuse me, of the same antigenic complex that started the process that B cells had presented. The unique architecture of secondary lymphoid organs facilitates these initial um, germinal center events through the placement of a large, clonally diverse B cell follicle near equally diverse T cell zones. So they're adjacent to one another in these germinal centers in these secondary lymphoid organs. Antigen-activated B cells then receive proper differentiation signals at the T-cell border of the B-cell follicle, and they initiate an early uh, German, germinal center B-cell transcriptional profile and migrate then to the follicular dendritic cell beds, where you also know as FDCs or networks, which will allow them to work, with, work within the B-cell population to enhance that antigen presentation and therefore to seed the germinal center reaction. Peripheral to these follicular dendritic cell networks, the germinal center B cells rapidly divide, 
undergo somatic copper mutation so that they're now directed to that particular antigen. And then an, a, a specific immunoglobulin or IgG variable domain will be generated. An IgG subclass will be made, and those are going to be the secreted antibodies. Newly formed germinal center B cell clones will migrate into the GC light zone, where they will compete for antigen and secondary signals presented by these follicular um, dendritic cell networks. And there'll also be a specialized set of naive CD4 plus T cells. Those are called, of course, remember, T follicular helper cells, right? Those are going to be the specialized subset of those previously naive CD4 positive T cells. So survival, proliferative and differentiation signals delivered by mature follicular um, dendritic cell networks, okay? And the T follicular uh, helper cells, it will initiate a transcriptional program that will determine when and if germinal center B cells become memory B cells or they're terminally differentiated to produce an antibody. Um, and then they're going to be called plasma cells, of course, and they'll be out in the periphery. To prevent oncogenic transformation or escape of those autoreactive clones, this is some uh, subjective speculation here, there are some, several regulatory mechanisms that restrict germinal center B cell proliferation and survival. So when those restrictions are removed and T cell lymphocyte mediated activation is enhanced because of alterations of the microenvironment because of particular cytokines and chemokines signaling and then subsequently signaling into the transcription factors which are going to regulate T cell population differentiation, watch out because that's where you're going to get an autoimmune hyperinflammation. That's precisely what's going on with autoimmune diseases. So we're going to leave it at that for now. I wanted to make sure that I covered that uh, uh, kind of like a, a quick overview of the way that you can understand how T cells and B cells in combination with memory B cells, memory T cells, T follicular helper cells that are generated directly from CD4 naive lymphocytes, all within secondary lymphoid organs in response to innate immune antigen-presenting cells like dendritic cells, can generate a, a regimen of plasma cells generating immunoglobulin, IgG, that's gone through hypermutation that is selectively now attacking host antigen. And for example, with the Novoshvingobium bacterial infection, and maybe the Staph aureus infection, targeting things like the pyrite androgenase E2 epitope on that dehydrolipoyl acetyl transferase protein, thus generating autoantibodies to all the host cells and giving us the lupus response. Now, we're going to get a lot more to detail about that uh, during the next episodes because I want to come back and bring to bear how we understand transcription factor mediated T cell differentiation. Now, we talked about the T bet cells being important. We talked about BLIMP1, another transcription factor. Um, we talked about FOXP3 as transcription factor for T reg in particular. I want to go back and revisit that transcription factors are modified in their expression via signaling through the T cell receptor, for example. Uh, and also through secondary receptors that are going to work with the HLA complex 2 
after antigen presentation to trigger T cells to then communicate with B cells, go through hypermutation, and generate a massive antibody response, which is then the hallmark for autoimmunity, autoimmune diseases such as lupus. So we're going to close that for now. This is uh, hopefully a good, succinct description of what we're trying to get at. This is Dr. Daniel Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Pacific Northwest on the 18th of December, 2019. And please listen, because we're going to be doing a rapid-fire succession of these uh, 30 minutes or so, not quite 30-minute talks, uh, before Christmas time, which is just one week away. And I want you to get fully up to speed with autoimmune diseases, because it's exactly what we're doing this. It was a request to look into autoimmunity, and that's what I'm doing. And hopefully we'll have another maybe two hours of discussion on this, and we'll be able to um, hopefully have a pretty good understanding of what is the what are the biochemical architectonics and the cellular um, architectonics of what is involved in autoimmune diseases in humans? So we can go forward to start asking from a diet event ontological perspective how we may modify uh, pharmaceutical discovery in such a way to look at more fundamental and perhaps even arcane triggers that are early on proximal to the induction of these autoimmune responses so as not to corrupt the Treg cell lineage to keep suppression low, but only when necessary. And that's ultimately what I want to be able to um, recover from these discussions. So again, this is Dr. Daniel John Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry, and I'm going to just say bye for now. <laughs>